Good day, everybody, and welcome to the Cavalcade. This is John Dooley. We have just polished up week five, and we're entering week six. Had some great action last week. We're going to talk about it during the podcast first and then preview next week's games. But how are you feeling? You feeling good? I'm feeling I'm feeling all right. I was in D.C. all last week. I was feeling very patriotic. Paid homage at Arlington. Went to the U.S. Naval Academy up at Annapolis. That was a lot of fun. Beautiful town, Annapolis. And then uh, went to the Air and Space Museum. Stayed in Alexandria, historic Alexandria. You're in rooms that George Washington was, was hanging around in. That's pretty cool, man. The world was changing. You're in the same room as people making decisions about the future of the country. Kind of nuts, right? Also, we don't do enough flying challenges anymore. Whatever happened to flying challenges? There used to be a lot more flying challenges. I could fly longer than you can fly. I can fly faster than you can fly. They were big into flying challenges when flying started. And now there's not as many flying challenges. There needs We need to bring those back. Let's see how fast these planes can go. I think people started dying probably in crashes. That was probably the issue. Nobody wants to do that. That's why I won't go to an air show. I know my parents bother me and they say, John, you should go to an air show, see what it's like. You know, I've seen, I went to one air show. I was really small. I went to an air and water show in Chicago. And uh, that's enough. I, you know, the planes, they go fast. They're loud. I mean, I, I knew that. I don't I watch too many YouTube videos. That's the problem. I see these YouTube videos of these crashes taking places during these air shows. I don't need that in my life. I got enough stress as it is. Returning back to work after a week off. That's the worst feeling, man. You know that feeling, that little creep that comes in. But I did fine today. I'm recording this on Monday night. Giant Seahawks went so bad, I figured might as well come up and record. Should have done it last night anyway. No consistency to when this podcast is released. I'm sure that's fun for you guys. I'm sure you've got some Tuesday morning podcast you normally listen to. You've got it queued up on your Spotify, but you wound up with me. Ooh, you're so lucky. Because, uh, you know, things are going well for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. Things are going pretty well. I'm feeling pretty good about life. I've been pretty good about my bets, too. I'm not a big gambler. I put like $5 down on like 15 games. That sounded much, much better in my head. Now that I say it out loud, that sounds bad. <laughs> it's not a lot. Would you calm down? Was that 75 bucks? That's not a big deal. And that's all I do. That's all I do. I don't do anything more, anything less. And I've had a good year so far. But as we know, things change. You got to be smart. You can't be selfish. Can't go chasing losses. Can't be do, doing silly stuff. I come from a family that struggled with gambling. So I I'm very sensitive to it, so I I don't like losing money, which is actually a really good thing. It keeps me away from being dumb. So I'm I'm very conservative with my funds. But things have gone very well for me. And I'm going to talk about what happened last week. You're listening to the Midwest Football Cavalcade with John Dooley. We are available on Spotify. We're available on Apple Podcasts. Pretty much wherever you can find podcasts is where we're at. So you need to subscribe. You need to tell your friends. This is the best podcast about the Big Ten uh, and Notre Dame. 
It's really about the conferences that I care about. I talk about the Big Ten, a little bit about the MAC, and a little bit about the Missouri Valley Football Conference. And we also talk a little bit about college football. And last week, I was so frustrated about the Bears. I talked about the Bears. We're not going to talk about the Bears this week. Do you want to know why? Because I want to stay positive. Also, I'm a good human being, and I don't want you to, to turn this off. I think the Bears are such an unpleasant team to talk about that for other fans, it's unpleasant. Like, remember how bad the Browns got for all those years? And they're still kind of having their own issues right now. But the Browns were so bad when you, like, mentioned them. When you saw the Browns on your TV, you were automatically like, oh, no, no, got to turn. Can't watch the Browns. Can't have that on my television. That's what the Bears have become. People across the country, the Bears show up on their TV. They're like, ah, no, turn now. It's pretty bad. Anyway, we're going to talk about college football and the previous week. You can friend us on Facebook. The Midwest Football Cavalcades on Facebook. There's two pages on there. One is a public page. One's a private page. We're on the private page. Invite yourself in. I'll let you in. I've got tons of friends. I'll let you in. If you're already in, invite other friends to come in. You can add other friends. Yes, you can do it. You can add other friends. Go on Facebook now and add them. I don't know why it's still a private group. They say you can't change it to public. I don't want to start a new group. I already put memes in there. I'm going to lose my memes. Don't want to lose my memes. Anyway, last week was a really interesting week in football. Uh, Oregon State took care of Utah. I guess you could call that a big game, but I just never really got amped up for it. Just didn't do a lot for me. Watched a bit of it, saw the highlights. Oregon State's got a good team. Utah's too inconsistent for me. Good defense, but offense, eh. Uh, and then I think the big news was USC over Colorado, right? USC was destroying Colorado. That game was over. It was like 41 to 14 at one point. And uh, most people quit on the game and Colorado kept coming. They kept coming. And then on the final drive, Colorado decided to like take an hour and a half with their plays. That was really strange. They were down two touchdowns. They had no timeouts left. They had to get out of bounds and stop the clock. And their offensive coordinator was like, we're going to run a five-yard draw, followed by a four-yard draw, followed by a six-yard draw. Let's make sure we can't get the ball back. It was almost like he was trying to do that. I don't know. It was a little odd. How do I feel about Colorado? I don't want to waste. Listen, I know you're listening to this podcast to get away from all that stuff. You're listening to this podcast because every other college football podcast Every other broadcast has to have an opinion about Colorado. Here's my opinion on Colorado. They could go five and seven this year. Honestly, they could go four and eight this year. It's not a failure. They didn't return a lot from their team. They had an injury to a star two-way player. They went five and seven. That's a pretty good year for Dion. That has no indicator on what type of coach he, on what type of coach he is. This is the best the Pac-12 has been since it was called the Pac-10. I don't know, you can put in those years when USC and Cal were both good, like 20 years ago. I don't care when Oregon and USC were going. I don't care. The Pac-10, Pac-12s had years with two great teams, with two top 10 teams. That's not new. It hasn't had a year with like seven to eight viable, true, good, good football teams. And that's what they have this year, man. 
There's a reason it's the best conference in the, in, in the, in the land. And I saw their ranking go up in the Phil Steele rankings, and it kind of cocked my eyebrows like, oh, this is strange. He's got the Pac-12 so high. That dude just knows. He gets it. He understands it. He even moved the ACC up a little bit. And I was like, huh? But he was right. He was right about the ACC, too. Remember last year when I was making fun of the ACC every week, calling it a garbage conference outside of Florida State? I was right. Week after week. ACC's better this year. And you can tell the quality of play is better. Still not like great to me, but it's a good, it's definitely better as a conference than what it was last year. Anyway, that's my thoughts on Colorado. They could go five and seven. It's not a failure. People are way too hard on Dion, and then there's other people that are way too permissive of everything Colorado does. They can't do anything wrong because he's the greatest thing and Colorado's the greatest thing ever. It just seems like there's just only two sides to it. And Honestly, we're going to get something down the middle. And he can really only be judged by what happens, in my opinion, next year and the year after that. So that's how that goes. Kentucky destroyed Florida, and they looked good. Kentucky physically beat Florida. They physically beat the Gators. What in the world is going on, man? I mean, Kentucky, this is three straight years now. Kentucky's done this to Florida. I think they said the last time this happened was World War II. Kentucky's had decent teams in the past, but never physically beating a team like Florida. I don't want to say too much, but like this Georgia game, that's not a gimme. Georgia gets off to slow starts. Kentucky's physical and they can pound the ball. I think Georgia's going to win the game. I think that spread's a little too big. That's just me. Ole Miss LSU, that was tons of fun, right? Turn that game on. Put in some popcorn. Do people have beer with popcorn? That seems weird to me. For those of you that are close to me, I stopped drinking years back, so I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not going to lose followers. You don't drink, drink. yeah, I don't drink anymore. Get over it. I remember all the games I watch. It's great. But I don't remember ever drinking beer and having popcorn. It seems like a weird combo, you know? I don't know why. Even when I had popcorn when I was drinking, I, I, I'd have like a, I don't know, like a Coke or something or, or water. I don't know. I, the beer and popcorn doesn't go together with me. Maybe I'm the nuts one. And also Washington. Remember I was talking about how good Washington was last week and how I love Washington and how I'm going to marry Washington and how great Washington is. They were not impressive against Arizona. And that spread looked off to me when I saw it. And usually that's Vegas knowing something that, I'm not aware of, and apparently they knew something that I was not aware of because Washington was okay. They were okay, but um, not explosive. I thought they were a wagon. I don't think they're a wagon. I think uh, Arizona got them to slow down a little bit. So let's get to the fun stuff. Let's get to the actual Big Ten football and what happened last week, right? Because there were some big games that I want to get to and, uh, and talk about and celebrate in regards to the Big Ten's Week 5. So where are we going to start off? Humdily, humdily, humdily. Let's start off with Michigan and Nebraska. Let's start off with the Wolverines in Nebraska and our man, Hargard, who is now at quarterback for the Huskers. His uh, option ways, hearkening Husker fans back to the glory days of yesteryear. 
The problem is Michigan's front seven is better than most, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country. And they physically dominated this game. Michigan won 45-7. to I had my notes here. I just wrote overmatched. That was the first thing that I wrote on here. Uh, it looked like men versus boys. Uh, not Harburg's fault. I thought there was just too much for him to handle with Michigan. Uh, and every aspect of the game, Michigan was better too. And not to kind of pour this on if you're a Nebraska fan listening to this. And be like, okay, we get it. They won. They blew us out. Do you just have to pour it on to us while you do the podcast as well? But I thought the turning point was the early interception, the batted interception that went in the air after Michigan had already driven for a score. They get on the field and doink, interception, and the interception turns into six. Then it was curtains. The game was over. The crowd was out of it. It was way too hot. You know, you're you're in Lincoln. You're on that. You got that like turf. You have the field turf and it's 93. It's hot. Good night. They wanted to show up for their new coach coming back with Harbaugh coming back. And uh, Michigan just ground them up 249 to 106 on the ground. And, you know, this is, seems to be the biggest difference. The biggest common thread I'm going to be talking about throughout this podcast is how teams perform on third down. Great teams perform well on third down. For me, that's a sign of a veteran team. Michigan went 8 for 13 on third down. Nebraska went 3 of 10. And that's all you can say. And Matt Rule talked after the game, by the way. I just find his post-game comments to be so puzzling. I think this is the third week I've brought up a Matt Rule post-game comment. He was talking about how devastated he was and how this was going to hurt. It's like, dude, it's, 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 an, it's a top. This is one of the top teams in the country. This is not you. Are you surprised? I know. What is he supposed to say? I know that's the other side of it. Like, what's he supposed to say? Like. You know, oh, well, I expected it, <laughs> you know. We got killed, but, you know, that's how things go, whatever. But to say, you know, you're devastated or I can't believe this happened, like, it was kind of like, okay. You're nowhere near their talent, and it was plainly evident for anybody to see that you're nowhere near them in any phase of the game. Offensive and defensive line, your skill positions, your special teams, Nebraska isn't comparable to Michigan at any of those levels. And... He's going to need a couple of recruiting classes for that to change. And we're going to see what type of a recruiter he is over these next couple of years. But uh, you could see the disparity in that game. So moving along after that, we'll go to game number two. And I'm kind of doing this based not on chronological order, as you can already tell. But I'm kind of basing this off of the games that I thought were the, the most important. So we're going to pivot over to Iowa and Michigan State. The Hawks moving to 4-1 with a 26-16 victory over Michigan State. The big play, Cooper DeGene's 70-yard punt return late that broke it open. Uh, no word yet on the Cade McNamara injury. Did searches for that. Haven't heard anything new on that. It's going to be tough for Brian Ferentz to get that 25 points per game now. It was tough to begin with, but uh, I really don't think Deacon Hill is anybody's answer to any question. That being said, Iowa's defense makes a lot of people look dumb, and Noah Kim did not look good. He looked flustered. The stage looked a bit too bright for him. And uh, still a good response by Iowa. Great response after getting shut out by Penn State. It's a good team. They can probably finagle their way to eight wins just solely on their defense. But uh, 
they're going to have to be really inventive on the off offensive side of the ball for them to get beyond that because that offense is going to be an issue. Maybe it comes from their special teams. Michigan State, I thought Michigan State played well. I thought they played a pretty good game. I was impressed. I thought to myself, oh, hey, this is the Michigan State team that I was kind of prepping people on at the start of the year. They're going to be a competitive team. I think they're a team that can make a bowl. And I just think it's too much. I think with everything going on, it's just way too much for this team. And when push comes to shove, they kind of are the ones that get shoved to the side. So not looking good for the future of Michigan State football, at least in 2023. I always got to feel a little bit better about themselves after that embarrassing loss to Penn State. So what was my third game of the week? Oh, it was Rutgers-Wagner. No, I'm just kidding. The third game of the week was Penn State-Northwestern, which was a really interesting game. Penn State beat the Cats 41-13. to Drew Aller seemed out of sorts, and you guys know me. I've been talking about my Drew Aller for a long time. I like my Drew Aller. I like him. I'm his friend. I, If he were here, I would go for a walk with him. He seems like a good dude. But he was out of sorts. thought Northwestern had a good game plan to start the game. Flying to the ball, very active. They were juiced. They were hyped. Ran out to a 10-3 lead. It was 10-10 at the half. But that Penn State defense is relentless. That is the most relentless defense in the conference. Sorry, Michigan. It's Penn State. The way they swarmed the ball. Seven sacks, 12 tackles for a loss. Uh... I tell you what, when Ben Bryant gets lost, he gets lost. He gets happy feet, and I can't blame him. The offensive line is not the best. It's probably the worst in the Big Ten. So you develop bad habits when things like that take place. And then when you are playing a team at a defense like Penn State, you start anticipating things to start happening. And uh, Penn State took care of him. I mean, they really, really, really took care of him. So Penn State... Defeats Northwestern 41-13 to pretty handily. And once again, it's a diversity of talent across the board. If it's Singleton, if it's Allen, if it's Lambert Smith, they just attack you so many different ways. They're going to keep pounding and pounding and pounding, and something's going to eventually break. And I think that patience is going to go a long way with this Penn State group. Oh, we're just flying along here. Let's take a shortcut because... I'm going to get to some other big games a little bit later. We're going to go and pivot over to Minnesota and Louisiana. Oh, you want to hear about those raging Cajuns. The Gophers defeated Louisiana 35-24. to If you weren't following this or following the weekend too closely, Louisiana was winning this game 17-14 at the half. Somebody told you that last week on the podcast. It was me. Spoiler alert. What I did see overall from the game, as far as Minnesota's offense was concerned, I really appreciated their attack. Kelly McManus was 12 of 14, threw a couple touchdowns, took shots deep when he needed to. They took uh, some big play shots when they needed to. Strong running game. They did it all without Darius Taylor. I still don't have any word yet uh, with Darius Taylor as far as his return is going to take place. Uh, but it didn't matter. Daniel Jackson, very underappreciated player from Minnesota, by the way. Five catches for 89 yards and two touchdowns. But low turnovers, grind the ball, control the clock, uh, create a simplified offense where Kelly McManus can also use his mobility a little bit. 
check, 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 check. They did all those things to help grind out that win. Now, that works against Louisiana. Don't think that's going to work against a team like Michigan. And I just don't think an offense like this with this type of quarterback is ever going to get you a big win against a marquee team. P.J. Flex got to learn how to develop a big-time quarterback. Like you got to be able to throw the ball like it's 2023. If you want to run this 1991 offense, that's fine. It's just not going to win you a ton of games. You may get an eight, nine win thing here and there, but you got to have some explosiveness at your quarterback. You have to have your quarterback be able to make certain throws at certain times. No one's going to tell you Drew Aller or J.J. McCarthy is the number one quarterback in the country. I, I don't believe that. I don't think that they have that in them, but they have to be able to show up and make big plays in big games. When I look at Kelly McManus right now, I don't see a guy who I think is going to develop into that type of player. I think he's a guy who can lead your team to some eight-win seasons eventually, but they got to find a way to get a guy up in Minneapolis, and maybe that's a transfer. I don't know what it is, but if you want to win and win big, that's how you do it. That's just my opinion. Maybe I'm being a little too harsh. I don't want to make it sound like I'm being too harsh on Kelly McManus because I think he's a fine quarterback. I just don't think he's the explosive type of quarterback that's ever going to get you the 10-win season that I know P.J. Fleck is looking for. What we're going to do here is we're going to take a break. We'll be back on the Cavalcade with the rest of Big Ten action in just a moment. We are back here at the Cavalcade going over week five, Big Ten action, moving along to the first game of the second half that I'd like to review, and that is Purdue pounding the Illini 44-19 on what we can all only assume was Ryan Walters Day in West Lafayette, Indiana, because that's what it looked like, that's what it felt like, that's what it smelled like. Unless you're a Illini fan, then it smelled like dung. Now, this was not very competitive after it was 16-13 at the half. And uh, I know Illini fans won't want to hear this, but for me, even though the numbers don't jump out to you and people will talk about the penalties and all of the bad luck, after watching every Purdue game this year, as I have, and I've watched most of the Illinois games, this was really the difference between Hudson Card and Luke Altmaier. You have a quarterback designed to make plays, and then you have what I can only assume is, in parentheses, a quarterback. That's all Luke Altmaier is. He's like a starting lineup figure. You just put him on the mantle, and you go uh, 14 of 22 for 190, one pick, one interception. You know, it's just a guy. And uh, I know that's not what Illini fans want to hear, but that's certainly what it looks like, and that's certainly what it feels like. And uh, Reggie Love is not going to make anybody forget about um, Brown or the running game from last year. It's just not the same team. And for all the talent that's on that defensive line for Illinois, it's just too much to overcome. Give Ryan Walters credit because they lost a lot. They did not return a lot this year. 
He's building this thing from the ground up. This this team right here, yeah, it's good to get a guy like Hudson Card, but you know, it's a lot of dudes who showed up for the grind. It's a lot of no names, a lot of guys who decided to stay with the program when they could have gone somewhere else. Transfers who came to fill in in a year where Ryan Walters really wasn't able to get a full dose of recruiting in for this year's team. You'll see some changes for next year, but not for this year. I mean, Isaiah Williams is a guy for Illinois. He's a real dude. He went six for 113 in this game. He's a real legit football player, but it's just not there for Altmaier on his timing. The line struggled all year, five sacks for Purdue, seven tackles for a loss. This was supposed to be one of the worst defenses in the Big Ten. Purdue was supposed to have a bad defense. Now, Ryan Walters is a motivator. He's a schemer. And when you have a dude who knows his stuff, that sometimes can be the difference between being like a number 14 defense in the conference and like, let's say, number eight, number nine. If they're going to sit in that middle of the pack with the offense that Purdue has, like Purdue can make a bowl, which was something that I honestly at the start of the year would have laughed off and said, I, I don't think that's happening. Like it's it's legit now. It, it's definitely there. They played a fairly tough non-conference schedule for uh, having a rebound-type year. So a couple stats that you have to, I think, tell the whole story of this game. Illinois, 2 of 13 on third down. Purdue, 8 of 13 on third down. Penalties. Illinois, 9 penalties for 83 yards. Purdue, 3 penalties for 15 yards. You can complain about the calls. In my opinion, there were a couple egregious ones. Number one, you have to you have to recoup after those penalties take place. And number two, listen, you can say that a couple times. You can't say it nine times. It's an undisciplined team, and it, it's looking like a team that's kind of getting away from Bielema. They need a reset. Somehow, some way to reset and get the vibes back because the vibes are not good right now. I talked to some Illini fans and they were locked in like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll win six games. Like they were like pretty sure they were going to win six games. And before this game, I was looking at their schedule and I, I don't know where these people are finding these six games from. Not the way the Big Ten's playing out. Maybe if you're just watching Illinois, you think they're going to win six games. But if you're following the Big Ten, not a gimme, my friend. Not a gimme to get those six wins anymore. So I want to congratulate Purdue. I don't want to lash Illinois too much. Great job by Ryan Walters and, and Purdue. They are definitely in a much better position than I originally thought. Just briefly, we're going to talk about Rutgers-Wagner because we have to. Rutgers defeated Wagner 52-3. to I always love seeing games like this because uh, this is what Rutgers has to learn how to do is to pound bad teams. And Wagner got six total first downs. They converted one third down. So as bad of a day, if you're an Illinois fan, you could have been a Wagner fan. So just put it that way. We're not going to spend a lot of time on Rutgers-Wagner. Uh, you know, Gavin Wimsett had the type of day that you normally would expect from him. And it was a nice uh, warm day in Piscataway to make everybody happy and bring home the Scarlet Knights happy. Uh, other games. Maryland bounced Indiana 44-17. to 
Talia was magnificent, going 24 of 34 for 352 and five touchdowns. This game was over almost before it started. I remember wanting to turn it on, and then it flashed on the bottom of the screen that it was 7-0 Maryland. I was like, the game started? I didn't know the game started. And then I got a text from my friend and said, oh, I can't believe it. Maryland already scored. And I mean, I think Indiana fans are kind of like Bears fans in the way that you just want to be humored for a little bit, right? Like, just, like, keep it somewhere near so I can, like, watch a half of football. Felton went 7 for 134 and three touchdowns. That's another thing you're getting. You're getting more weapons from this Maryland team that you didn't necessarily see all of last year. Uh, Indiana's going to have a new offensive coordinator and Rod Carey, the former Northern Illinois head coach. But he was kind of a conservative coach at Northern Illinois. So I don't think you Indiana fans are going to necessarily get what you think you're wanting here. Just a little warning on that. And Soresby was better after Jackson was pulled. But Soresby was playing when the game was already a blowout. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I will say this. Maryland's making a statement after those first slow starts early in the year. They're wanting to get people to, to look at them and say, hey, we can play with anybody. And uh, Indiana's a disaster. Uh, it's really a sh- it Just so quickly, they're a disaster. It, those memories of 2020 are so long ago. And uh, Maryland's a team. We're going to find out more about them this week. Getting away from the Big Ten as we went through all of the Big Ten results from last week. Notre Dame. Took care of Duke 21-14. to We also review Notre Dame games on here along with the Big Ten. That's what we do. So what did we think of the Irish's performance? They did not come prepared in the first half. This was a poorly prepared Notre Dame team. And it is 100% on the shoulders of their head coach. They were not prepared in the slightest. Now, Notre Dame led this game. 13 to nothing at one point, but they had 12 penalties, 12 penalties on the road. They are so lucky they won the game. I hope they gave a game ball to everybody on that defense that bailed them out. The only reason Duke got those 14 points was because that Notre Dame defense was tired from bailing out Notre Dame. Three for 15 on third down. That's a bad Bad football team. That's an undisciplined football team. And you know what Sam Hartman looked like? He looked like a quarterback from Wake Forest. Not a dude with a bunch of weapons. Not a dude with a great offensive line. Because that offensive line got beat consistently too. They got whipped. That Notre Dame line got whipped in that game. Now on the defense, totally different story. Eventually Duke was able to get a couple good drives and take the lead. Notre Dame, let's be honest, they were lucky to win this game. And maybe that says a lot about the gap between Notre Dame and the rest of the ACC is that Notre Dame probably played the worst it could play on the road and still won. So maybe that's the positive that's there for them. But Riley Leonard was mainly shut down. Hopefully he's okay. Mitchell Evans kind of had his coming out party, at least for me. He was a big weapon on that team. But, um, geez, nothing else there. Notre Dame doesn't really have explosive receivers. I'm not really sure how this Tyree thing's working out. I'm, you know, yeah, you can get long touchdowns against Central Michigan all you want. All these other other teams, you have to show up. Guys have to show up and have big games against real teams. And they're going to get a challenge this week as well. 
So that's what took place in the back half of the Big Ten. We're going to talk just a little bit about what took place in the MAC and the Missouri Valley Football Conference in just a moment. It's going to cool off this weekend, so I'm going to be grabbing some apple cider donuts. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to be grabbing them and eating them and enjoying them. You should join me. I'm going to be having some coffee, some donuts. I can't wait. Can't wait. Got to keep running, though. Got to keep myself in shape so I can eat that garbage. You know what I mean? What happened to the Mac? The Mac was really interesting this week. So Buffalo defeated Akron 13-10 to in overtime. That's really bad news if you're an Indiana Hoosiers football fan because Indiana barely beat Akron. That does not look good. And I knew Buffalo would get a win in this game, so give me some props on this one. Central Michigan defeated Eastern Michigan 26-23. to Watch out for the Chips. The Chips are playing good football. We're entering a new chip world. Remember they beat Oklahoma State earlier in the year? Eastern Michigan was supposed to be competitive, but been kind of rough for the Eagles so far. Miami of Ohio defeated Kent 23-3. Kent is being like fairly competitive considering they have to like rebuild their entire football program after everybody who left last year. Uh Good news for the Red Hawks. Probably should have blew them out a little bit more, uh, but uh, they're still in good shape at 4-1. The big game was Bowling Green exploding in Atlanta over Georgia Tech 38-27. to I don't know if you saw Finn Hogan in that one-handed catch on SportsCenter. Look that up. His name is Finn Hogan, F-I-N-N Hogan. Catch of the year, better than anybody in the Big Ten this year, made it a sensational one-handed catch. I know Georgia Tech's like not good and they're in a bad situation, but my word, my word, I don't think Bowling Green's going to win a MAC division, but uh, still a good win for the program. Western Michigan beat Ball State. I told you before, I don't really like this Ball State team. Broncos win big 42 to 24. I don't think Western Michigan's that good of a team to begin with, so that's very scary if you're a Ball State Cardinal fan. And in the game of the week in the MAC, and this was going to be the game of the week at the start of the year, but Northern got off to an awful start. Toledo defeated Northern Illinois 35-33. to Northern tried to come back late. They were down 35-20. to Got it within two. Had the ball at the end. Weren't able to do anything with it. Daquan Finn is still Daquan Finn. 16-20 of 20 for 281. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. Also ran seven times for 61 yards and a touchdown. He is a legit football player. He is a good dude. He'll find his way into a camp. I hope he finds his way onto a roster. But the Mac was really, really interesting this past week. The Missouri Valley Football Conference was also interesting this week because there was some massive, stunning news in the FCS in the FCS realms. Number one, excuse me, number two, North Dakota State was stunned. Stunned, I say, by South Dakota. Stunned. Tell your friends about the stunning loss. North Dakota State lost at home. 24 to 19. That is a huge, huge shakeup in the FCS world. Northern Iowa held off number 19, Youngstown, 44 to 41. That's not too much of a surprise because we knew Northern Iowa was going to be decent coming into the year. Number one, South Dakota State defeated number 15, North Dakota, 42 to 21. Pretty expected. South Dakota State's got a really good team. Probably their best game they've played all year. 
Number 10, SIU took care of Missouri State 33-20, and Murray got their first Missouri Valley Football Conference win by taking care of the trees of Indiana State 30-28. So looking forward to next week and our mid-major games, we've got uh, some interesting ones. Let's go to the MAC first. Western Michigan's actually going to be going to Hattiesburg to face Mississippi State. That game will be on at 11 a.m. on the SEC Network. Toledo has to go to UMass. I think Toledo's going to be fine. Uh, Central Michigan at Buffalo. We've got some action. Oh, Mac on Mac action. Central Michigan's at Buffalo. Central Michigan, I believe, should get the win there. Ball State's at Eastern Michigan. I think Eastern Michigan's going to finally recover. Bowling Green's at Miami of Ohio. This is actually legitimately a good football game. Bowling Green is feeling themselves. Miami of Ohio's supposed to be a good team. Gotta start winning games you should win. Gotta start winning games you should win if you want to try to make it to the next level and build upon what was supposed to be there with this Miami program. So they're hoping for a win there. Kent's at Ohio. Ohio should win. They should win big. But Kent's been uh, competitive in their game so far, considering the amount of talent that's on their team. And then Northern Illinois has to go to Akron. This is a game that if you're Northern and if you lose it, uh, Northern's got to look at Hammock. That's going to sound drastic, but if you lose this game, you're one in five. You lose to a team that was one of the worst teams in college football last year. You got to look at the coach because this year is not going the way it was supposed to go. This is a team that I think when most people looked at the schedule, thought seven and five at worst. And you want to know what? You're almost looking at seven and five at best. So I don't know. Big game for the Huskies. What's happening in the Missouri Valley Football Conference? These are big games in my world. Western Illinois is going to be at number 15, North Dakota. Uh, number 8, North Dakota State. Oh, that's so weird to say. Number 8, North Dakota State. Usually they're in the top two. They're at Missouri State. They should get a win there. Murray is going to be at number 21, South Dakota. Number 5, SIU's at Youngstown. Yes, the Salukis are up to number 5 in the country. Uh, this is a very tough game. Youngstown, I think, should be ranked. It's going to be viewed as a massive upset if Youngstown wins. But honestly, I think Youngstown should probably be favored. That's how good the Valley is. Number 11, South Dakota. Number one, South Dakota State is going to be at number 22, Illinois State. This is a huge win, a huge game, I should say, for the Redbirds to try to get their program back on track. It's been kind of off for the last couple of years. And then number 26, Northern Iowa is going to be at Indiana State. So a fun, fun week in the Valley. We're going to come back in just a moment and talk about some of our other games. Actually, you know, before we do that, Notre Dame's going to be at NC State. NC State's got a pretty good defense. I think the Irish should squeak this one out in Raleigh. And then there's some other fun games taking place. LSU's going to be at Mizzou, Oklahoma, and Texas, the Red River rivalry. That's taking place this week as well. And a game that's a sleeper that I want you to pay attention to is Fresno and Wyoming. That is a sleeper game. Wyoming was supposed to compete for the Mountain West Championship. They've looked a little sluggish, and they've got a chance to turn it all around. They've got a really good defense, and they're playing Fresno. I still think Fresno is going to come out on top, but we'll see if Wyoming can respond. We're going to take one more break, and then we'll be back with our Big Ten preview for Week 6 in just a moment. Right, starting again, the Big Ten preview for week six. We're going to do this chronologically starting on Friday night. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Warren, 
for giving us this big TV contract and these Friday, Friday, night, Friday night games that nobody wants to watch. Right in the heart of the Illinois high school season. Nothing better than tearing people away from their communities to watch mediocre college football. It's amazing work. Everybody give them a round of applause. Anyway, Nebraska is going to be at Illinois on Friday night at 7 p.m. on FS1. The Illini are favored by three and a half. What do we do? What do we do about this? I think Illinois is going to struggle. I think Nebraska is going to be able to run the ball at will on Illinois because this is a bad Illinois defense. I think they're going to be able to control the clock. And uh, Nebraska's defense is actually not that bad. Michigan was able to do whatever they wanted because they're Michigan. I think Illinois is going to struggle against this Nebraska defense. They fly to the ball. Um, they're, a, they're a physical defense. And uh, I think it's going to be very tough for them to come out with a win. I don't feel good about this Illinois thing. And I hate making predictions based on vibes because I don't think vibes really mean much. But I think vibes mean more in college than they do in the NFL because pros still show up to do pros work. Pros don't care about your vibes or how you feel as a, as a fan. They're professionals. They treat it like a job. They do a good job with what they do. I feel like college athletes are more susceptible to emotion and... I think if things start going the wrong way for Illinois, this is going to be a troublesome type game. Uh, this is like a swing game. You want to talk about two programs that could go in two different directions? This is it. If Illinois wants to reclaim their season, they have to win this game. I don't have a really good feel on it. I live in Illinois, so I can't put any money on it. Um, I just, uh, I don't know. I really, I really don't know. I just don't have a good feeling about it. I, I hate that I feel this way. I hate that I, I feel like Nebraska is going to win 24 to 21. I think Altmaier will have a couple good plays, a couple good drives, and then he's going to throw a pick that's just going to be a killer. And um, I like this kid's makeup on Nebraska. I like it. Where, where are we? I'm at the age now where I have to always check back at my notes. I'm like, oh, where, where's the guy? Harburg, yeah, that's the guy's name. I think that's an issue for for them. And we'll see uh, what they're able to do and how disciplined Illinois can be on defense because that's really going to dictate what we're going to see in the game. How's that for a preview? How's that for an in-depth preview? Maryland is going to be at number four, Ohio State. The Bucks are favored by 19 and a half. The game's going to be on Fox at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Uh, I don't feel good about this 19 and a half point spread. I think it's a little high because I don't think Ohio State's uh, great, great. And I mean that from the standpoint, this is a spread that I would expect from a great Ohio State team against a very good Maryland team. I think it's a great lowercase g Ohio State team against a very good Maryland team. Uh, I would have put the spread somewhere around 14. So I'm just giving you some hints. Giving you some hints as to where I'm leaning on this one. I think Maryland's going to be able to get what they want on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I think the issue is really just going to be Talia and turnovers. Can he prevent himself from turning the ball over? And if he can do so, I think he'll be fine. How is that Ohio State offensive line's gotten better as the year's gone on, and McCord looks much more seasoned. I'm so sold on him. I'm not sold on the Maryland defense, I'll tell you that much. So I think Mar I think Ohio State's going to come out on top. 
I just don't think this is going to play out the way everybody does. I've got it 30 to 23 Ohio State. Rutgers at Wisconsin. We talked about the fact that the Badgers don't really look like they have an identity on offense. Still trying to find out and get a feel for what they have. They are short at running back. They're going to be much more dependent on Braylon Allen uh, in regards to their running game. I think Gavin Wimsett and the type of game Rutgers has plays into Wisconsin's defense. I think the, the Badgers can play a tighter defense against this Rutgers team. They're going to have to take their shots downfield if they're going to want to beat Wisconsin. They're going to have to come up with some trickeration. They're going to have to throw some things in there early. And I think if they don't do that early, it's going to be curtains for them. The Badgers are favored by 14. This game is going to be on Peacock at 11 a.m. Uh, Badgers by 14 is probably about right. Um, but Wisconsin's going to have to be ready to play four quarters. I think this Rutgers team really believes in itself. I think they believe that they that they belong. And I know Michigan was able to kind of churn it off on them over a long period of time. But uh, Rutgers believes they can go into Madison and win. They believe that before game time. So Wisconsin's going to have to take that doubt out of them immediately and not wait until the second half to deliver the knockout punch, which is something they've struggled with over the last couple of weeks. Moving along to Howard at Northwestern, that game will be on Saturday at 2 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. There should be about five people at the game. Congratulations to those of you that are going to the game. I don't know how Northwestern deals with it. They only had 25000 for Penn State on arguably the most gorgeous day you could ever ask for. Penn State's a top 10 team. There's tons of Penn State alumni that are in the Chicagoland area, and they got twenty five k a week after they had an amazing 21-point comeback against Minnesota. That tells you the level of investment from the Chicago community into Northwestern football. It is at an all-time low. It is at pre. It is at Rick Venturi levels. That's what I'll what I'll put on that one. That's some old school stuff. Purdue is at Iowa. The Hawkeyes are favored by two and a half. If you would have told me that at the start of the year, I would have laughed. Iowa's defense, I thought, would put a number on Hudson Card and, and Purdue, but. Uh, this is a pretty good upset pick. If you want a money line pick, this is not a bad one to take. Iowa's coming in there maybe with a backup quarterback. The game will be on at 2.30 on Peacock. Purdue's got a ton of confidence. I know Iowa's got that good defense. I know they're going to be able to stick it to Hudson, but uh, I think Ryan Walter's going to know what to do against Iowa. This is, um, this is a really, really, really intriguing game. I'm kind of excited to watch this. I'm not... Games like this, I don't even touch with a 10-foot pole. I don't like it when guys are hurt and the variety that can come with that. So I'm just going to sit back, watch it, and enjoy it the old-fashioned way. And uh, I, I've got this one a deadlock. I've got this at a pick between Purdue and Iowa. Number two, Michigan is at Minnesota. The Wolverines are favored by 19.5, and quite frankly, I think that's low. I don't care uh, for Minnesota. I don't care about Darius Taylor. I don't care if he's back. I don't think it's going to matter. Michigan's better than Minnesota in every aspect of the game. And I think they're a nightmare for a quarterback like Kelly McManus who has to boot to get good looks. I think that's a nightmare situation. I think this game's going to be ugly. I think Michigan's going to win big. I think it's going to be like 45 to 10. 
And um, yeah, I do not see the little brown jug making its way back to the Twin Cities. I, I do not see that happening. So that game's going to be on NBC. And it starts at 6.30. I think it's going to be over by about 7.45. Notre Dame's going to be at Louisville. The Irish are six and a half point favorites. The game on at 6.30 on ABC. Um, did I put Notre Dame at NC State on here? I wrote down Notre Dame, NC State. Where did I get that from? I, I said that in the last segment. Well, Notre Dame's not playing NC State. You can get that right. Notre Dame's playing Louisville. The Irish are six and a half point favorites. The game will be on at 6.30 on ABC. I haven't watched Louisville much this year, but they're undefeated and they're at home. And they got a good coach. I think Brahm's a good coach, and I think they're going to run into uh, some issues with that because I don't, I'm not sold on Notre Dame's coach. Not after what happened against Ohio State, not after that garbage play I saw in the first half of last week. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, I do think Notre Dame will still find a way to pull it out because I think overall they've got more talent. Uh, but they need to be more dependent on their running game. Their offensive line should be able to blow Louisville off the ball. They should be able to run. They have to have more faith in that running game. And uh, it's going to make everything that much easier for Hartman. Because if it's not there, then they're in trouble. How's that for a Captain Obvious remark? But that's what I see in week six. Not the most exciting week for college football. But you know what? This is how college football works. It's always those weeks that wind up being the most exciting. So I'm looking forward to week six. I'm going to sit down and watch some of these games. It's going to cool off in the Chicagoland area. Oh, I can't wait for that autumnal breeze. Oh, who loves the autumnal breeze? I love you guys. I love the cavalcade. I love the fact that you subscribe to the cavalcade. So please do that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are sold. Send the podcast to your friends. Join them on the Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Dooley Football on Twitter. Do that now. I'm at Dooley Football, D-O-O-L-E-Y Football. That is where the page is. I love all of you. I'll be talking with you soon and happy football.